Well, good morning again, Faith Community. I am very excited to introduce to you Kevin Dolby. Uh, Kevin is coming on as part of the pastoral team here at Faith Community, and he's specifically going to be overseeing and, and caring for the administrative life of our community here. There are so many uh, great uh, things that we have going on in terms of tenants and campus usage that it would we really believe that this is a great season for us to uh, to care and steward well those resources that we have as a community. Um, but I want to just hand it over to Kevin and let him tell us a little bit about himself and just get the opportunity to say hello. Yeah, thanks Vince. Yeah. Um, and we're really Brenda and I are really excited to be here. Brenda is my wife. We've been married for almost 31 years. Uh, we were high school sweethearts. We met at Florence Avenue Foursquare Church up in the LA area. Uh, we were in high school, and um, I've been a pastor for 24, 25 years. Um, we've, we've done everything from senior pastoring, youth pastoring, assistant, associates, um, and uh, recently working for the Pacific Southwest District, uh, doing church health and transitions, and so uh, the new challenge of getting back into the administrative side of things and and even loving on people is just uh, something we're really, really excited about. And uh, to get to work with um, such amazing pastors, Vince and Larissa, it, uh, it, really, it really gets gets us excited. So glad to be here. Looking forward to meeting all of you. And um, thank you for the warm welcome. Great. Well, while you're watching this, we're also going to be introducing uh, Kevin to the outdoor uh, portion of our community gathering. But he does have his eye on the chat thread that's happening live here. I would love for you just to drop your name uh, there. You're watching with family um, or uh, roommates. You know, just drop your names in and say hello to, uh, to Pastor Kevin. And I know he'll get a chance to, to respond uh, collectively and just say hello to all of you. And then soon and very soon, <laughs> we'll get the opportunity for you to meet Kevin face to face. Uh, well, again, love you, church. And again, really grateful for this time we have together. across a poll recently that was um, a poll that was done on a, a, a large group of Christians um, across the country from various cities um, and, and various backgrounds. And the results of the poll were this, that 76% of those who identified as progressive see loving your enemies as complicity with injustice. And some 78% of those who identified as conservative see loving your enemies as compromise with immorality. Now, when I read um, when I read these these results, uh, for me the the thing that was glaring and stood out to me was that um, some three out of four Christians, if we are to believe these results are accurate, um, some three out of four Christians don't just um, don't just think that that loving our enemies is is difficult. We actually think it might be dangerous or or harmful. Um, and there's a big problem there because as Christians, we're called to be a people of love, right? We're called to love God. We're called to love one another within the church. We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to love even our enemies. And there's really no one that, that doesn't fit into any of those categories. In, in short, we're called to be a people who love all people, no matter what. This is a foundational component of, of the Christian's life. And, and I'm afraid that, that what this 
uh, this poll has, has, has revealed about us is that, um, that often those, those people that we view as the enemy, those people that we're worried um, that, that their views are wrong um, or their life is wrong, um, oftentimes those aren't just people outside of the church, but there are our fellow brothers and sisters um, that we are, are deeply concerned about um, viewpoints that they hold, uh, whether it's political or social viewpoints. We're, we're concerned about um, actions that they're taking in their life, and, and we wonder if, if we truly were to, to love them, um, that we would be compromising, that we would be endorsing something that we don't agree with. We have, have so much um, that could cause us to be um, dis disunified as, as a people. Um, that for followers of Christ, we, we come from various backgrounds. Um, we have generational differences. Um, we have differences of, of men and women. Uh, we have differences um, based on our race, our ethnicity, um, our nationalities, socioeconomic differences, um, people who are single or married, divorced or widowed language differences, cultural backgrounds, uh, different worldviews, all of these things, um, a potential opportunity for us to, uh, to see one another as, as the enemy, that it, that it might be um, damaging to love. The, the reality is that, that even this last year, we, we faced so many things together as a nation that, um, that would cause us to, to begin to wonder if, if we love people who view things differently than us, are we contributing to a problem? Um, you think of, of the situations that have come up, the, the, the disagreements and, and arguments that have come up over people's different reactions to COVID um, or um, the way people voted in the last elections or our response uh, to racism and um, racial inequality and police brutality, that, that all of these things, um, just even this past year, have come up for us as a people and, and have caused us to look at, at those people over there who view things different than us as, as the enemy and someone that we should withhold our love from. But these, these challenges that we faced um, this last year and will continue to face are not unique to us in our culture and in our time. Uh, but in fact, these are, um, these are the types of issues that that the church in Philippi was experiencing and, and why Paul was even writing to them because he realized that, that this church, this, this early church in Christianity had a, a group of people that were united together but who came from wildly different backgrounds. Um, there were both men and women in the church. There were slaves and slaveholders within the church. Uh, there were the rich and the powerful and the very poor and disenfranchised. There were Jews and Greeks, Roman citizens and non-citizens. There were those who have, had experienced oppression from the Roman Empire, and there were those who worked for the Roman Empire. 
Um, there were those who, um, whose cultural and social status was, was low and those whose cultural and social status was, was high and they had great power. Um, they had every reason to be divided as a people, uh, to be untrusting of one another, and to find it challenging to love one another and be united together as the body of Christ. And for them, with all the challenges that they faced, Paul writes, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that, that your love would abound more and more. This is, is the prayer that, that, that Paul wrote out for the Philippian believers, a, a diverse group of people. It says, this is my prayer. We find this in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. This is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best so that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced a harvest, the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Why did Paul make this prayer? Because he knew that the thing that could overcome their differences would be love. A love that comes from God, the God who is love. Which brings us back to, to the original question. If, if love is the solution to all the divisions um, within us, then what do we do with the fact that three out of four of us believe that loving might actually make things worse? What do we do? We could say that... Um, that as a, as a people, as followers of Christ, we just need to, to read the Bible more, uh, to, to read all of the verses, all of the commands on, on loving one another, or that we need more sermons on how to love, uh, that we need to memorize uh, these commands. But this is all assuming that people are, are ignorant of Scripture. But I think um, most of us are pretty familiar with the fact that, that there is an expectation that we be a people of love. And yet, even though we know this, we still, still struggle to show love to those we disagree with. So we could try... Um, to fix this problem by telling people to just do it, right? Just love, just try harder um, to, to muster up enough um, love for those people that we find challenging. But this is, this is assuming that, um, that we are, are ignoring scripture, that we know what Jesus requires of us to love each other. Um, but that we're just willfully disobedient. Um, but I think we, we do try, <laughs> that, that for most of us, we, we try to love those that are difficult. We try to love those that are challenging, um, but oftentimes all it takes is, is one comment, is, is one offhand remark, is one post um, on social media, and all of a sudden, all of that, um, that, that goodwill that we were trying to muster up, all of that, those feelings of love that we were trying to have for that challenging person 
all of that just um, vanishes away in one moment when, um, when we're confronted by our differences again. So if our problem isn't um, being ignorant of scripture, if our problem isn't just ignoring scripture and Jesus's commands, um, what, what is the problem? And I say, what if, if the problem is that we have such a high view of, of justice, that we have such a high view of, of righteousness or, or morality, uh, that we can't figure out how to love without compromising those values, that we as a people don't know how to love without compromising righteousness and compromising justice. And so when we see people, whoever they are, um, that are, are, in our views, um, living immorally or holding on to, to immoral viewpoints, we're, we're concerned that our love, that a display of love for them would, would be us condoning their actions or condoning their immorality. And we might have such a, a high view of, of justice that um, we don't wanna show love to people that we think are, are supporting or perpetuating injustice or oppression. But I think we, in, in our, our high regard for, for righteousness, for morality, for justice, um, we push aside love. But I don't think that we're ever going to attain righteousness and justice by withholding love. Withholding love from one another is not going to be the solution. Paul prays in, in his prayer for the Philippians for a harvest of righteousness and justice. Uh, that word um, that in English gets translated righteousness um, encompasses this, this idea of righteousness and justice. Uh, the way that we, we treat others and live in the world as well as our, our personal uh, morality. Um, it, it could be described as, as a harvest of right living. But this harvest doesn't come because we withhold love from one another. Instead, um, this harvest comes from Jesus Christ and is a result of an overflowing love wedded with discernment. That, that in this prayer, as Paul asks the Lord to, uh, to fill the church with this overwhelming love um, and that this love would, would be hand in hand with discernment, that the result of that would be righteousness and justice. The result of that would be a harvest of right living, not because the Philippian church withholds love, but because the Philippian church would overwhelmingly give love to even those they see as enemies, even those they disagree with, even those who are challenging. And so this is why Paul prays. This is why Paul prays. He prays because he knows that just hearing the instruction to love one another is not going to be enough. He prays because he knows just being exhorted to try harder to love those people over there 
isn't going to make a difference. He prays because he knows that only an inner work of Jesus Christ and his spirit within us can bring about the results that Paul was hoping for, the results of a people who, who love um, in a lavish way and whose love is filled with both, both knowledge and discernment and it leads to right living in the world. He knew that the, what the Philippian church needed, what this community needed, was the deep work of Jesus Christ in them to bring about an overwhelming love in their lives. A love that we cannot just muster up on our own. And so he prays that they would have love and discernment. And he prays for love that's to a, a ridiculous degree. I mean, he, he says it this way, that, that your love may overflow more and more. He just keeps on, on adding on to this, this idea of love. And it's this picture, um, in my mind, what comes um, to mind is if you have ever been in a home, shared a home with a toddler, um, and toddlers love to, to explore around in the bathroom. And so we have had this experience, and maybe you have as well, um, where, where some little toddler shoves toothbrushes brushes and toilet paper um, into the toilet and just begins to flush and flush and flush. And what happens is this overflow of water that just keeps coming and coming and coming. And it begins to, to seep out of the, the bounds of the bathroom and into the hallway and the rest of the house. And this is the, the, the picture that Paul uses here with these words, that, that the love he, he's praying for is a love that would, would so overflow that it would be without boundaries and without limits, that there would be no limits to the love that the Philippian church displayed for one another. Can you imagine that? I know for myself that, that my love is limited, that I place limits around it, but Paul is pleading with God to, to pour out on us this, this love that would overflow the bounds that we would try to place around it. And that this love um, that abounds would be accompanied by knowledge and discernment. He doesn't just pray for, uh, for knowledge, for, for wisdom and understanding of God and his ways on its own. Um, sometimes I think that, that the more, more we know, the more knowledge we gain, um, sometimes the more callous and unloving we can become. Uh, maybe the more self-righteous we can become and more frustrated or disgusted we can become with others who don't see things the same as us or, or who don't seem to have the same understanding that we do. And some people who have a lot of knowledge about God can unfortunately be some of the most uh, grumpy um, and some of the meanest people. Why is this? because knowledge alone does not lead to love. And instead, what Paul is praying for is that we would have this overflowing love in our lives that would be paired with and lead to a, a greater understanding of God and his ways. Paul writes elsewhere um, that, that 
knowledge on its own can, can puff us up, uh, that knowledge on its own is, is useless, is worthless, uh, and, but that instead we need, we need love. And so his prayer here displays that, uh, a, a request for prayer, a request for love that would be wedded with wisdom, with knowledge, with discernment that there would be, be full insight that would come with this love uh, to help you determine what is best. And he's praying that, that love would come with discernment, not a naive love, not a blind love, um, not just a love that, that accepts everything and, and says everything is okay just as long as we have these, these good emotional feelings for one another. It's, it's not a love that is um, ignoring what is harmful or excusing what is wrong. Instead, it's a love that is wise, a love that is discerning, uh, a love that, that can, can discern what really matters, that it it can pass the sunlight test is some of the language that Paul uses here. That it's almost as if um, this is a love that can bring reality into the light so that we can fully examine a situation. That we don't have to turn a blind eye to it, but instead we can, we can look the situation in the face and, and determine by the help of the Spirit what really is best, what the best way forward is, what the best way to show love in this unique or challenging circumstance. Paul prays that, that this love would abound um, among the church and that it would lead to deep understanding and discernment, uh, to be able to discern um, the, the good thing out of competing talking points. Um, that, that we wouldn't be swept up by the opinions that are so, um, so prevalent around us, but instead we would be able to, to hear different arguments and viewpoints around us. And from all of that, we would be able to not only discern what is good, but what is best, what is, is necessary in the moment. That, that we would be able to discern how best to display love, how best to act in a loving way. And this doesn't just go for our interpersonal relationships, but it's how we approach the world around us, how we live in society, how we participate in the civic life around us, that we would be able to discern what is necessary in the moment, uh, that we would be able to, to discern um, how to, excuse me, how to love the world around us. So that, so that in the day of Jesus Christ, in that, that day, that promised day when Jesus would return to fully set things right in the world, that on that day we would be found to be pure and blameless, having produced a harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. This language that Paul uses here, this, this harvest of righteousness or, or fruit of righteousness, um, it echoes a lot of the, the prophecies that were given to the Israelite people, especially in the book of Isaiah, where the Israelite people are described as this vine that has fruit. And, and God was um, 
was expecting from them fruit of, of right living, fruit of justice, fruit of righteousness. And instead what he found um, was injustice, that he, he, instead of finding good grapes, he found bitter grapes. And so Paul is reversing this language here and he is praying that the church would be a place that would produce that fruit that God is longing for in the world. Fruit of justice and righteousness, fruit of, of right living, that we would be a people because of our love and because of the, the wisdom and discernment that the Spirit brings in our lives, we would be able to, um, to make choices and to, to have an understanding that would allow our lives to produce the, the kind of fruit that God is wanting, kind of fruit that would not just be for our benefit, but that it would benefit the world around us. And this is, is the good news that we hear in Paul's prayer, that, that the reality is that, that love, lavish love, is not the problem. We aren't going to spoil people if we love them too much. Um, we don't have to withhold love to make sure that people know that they are wrong and need to change. We don't have to worry that, that loving others is going to, to sully us um, or cause us to be complicit with their sin or their bad choices. Because the, the reality is that, that God's lavish love was, was his means of putting the world to right. It was through God's lavish love that he has begun the work of transforming the world. It's through God's lavish love that he has begun and is doing the work of transforming us. We, we know the, the verses about God so loving the world that he sent his son. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That, that even when we were enemies of God, that, that he extended friendship and love to us. We, we don't have to worry about um, lavishly loving people being a, a, a problem because God wasn't worried that if he lavishly loved us, that he would spoil us or sully himself. Instead, we get the example of Jesus Christ, who, who didn't become complicit with people's injustice, and he didn't compromise on morality when he loved the people around him. Jesus loved corrupt, unjust tax collectors. Um, these tax collectors were working for a corrupt empire, they were oppressing the poor. They were getting rich through injustice. And Jesus ate with them. He hung out at their homes. He partied with them. Um, he lavishly loved these people who were caught up in and perpetuating an unjust system. Jesus loved the, the woman who was caught in adultery and he interrupted the mob that wanted to see her condemned for her actions. And people saw this about Jesus. They saw the, the people that he associated with, the love that he extended uh, to people they considered sinners and tax collectors. And, 
And they saw Jesus' actions as complicity with injustice and compromising on morality. They called him a friend of sinners, which wasn't just an insult. It was a judgment uh, on his character. But Jesus didn't withhold love from others. He, he didn't withhold love because he was afraid of getting a bad reputation. He didn't withhold love because he was afraid that people would take that as um, him condoning or endorsing their lifestyle or their choices. And so for those of us who are afraid that, that our love would make us complicit, that our, our love um, would cause us to be perpetuating injustice. We don't have to look any farther than, than Jesus and his interaction with Zacchaeus. His love led to a reversal of injustice. Zacchaeus was one of those tax collectors and he was so radically transformed by his encounter with Jesus and the love he experienced. Um, that he made reparations for all that he had done. He paid back four times all that he had stolen from others, and he gave away half of his possessions to the poor. Jesus loved an unjust man working for an unjust system, and this love made a way for justice to flourish, fruit of right living. And for those of us who are afraid that, that our love will be seen as compromise on immorality, just look at Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. He, he loved her. He, he protected her from the harm others would want to do to her. Um, he, he told her that he didn't condemn her. And instead, he invited her to go and sin no more. Her life was transformed in a radical way because of an abundance of overflowing love. Love can be transformational. And the good news is we can become like Jesus. That, that though we find it challenging to love those we're opposed to or we think are opposed to us, though we find it challenging to love those that we disagree with, we can become like Jesus and learn how to love in a way that creates space for the Spirit of God to bring about transformation. The love that we have received from Jesus, we can give to others. This love can produce through Jesus Christ fruit of righteousness and justice as Jesus' love transforms us and the very world around us. And so this is my prayer for us at Faith. Uh, to abound more and more in love um, and that our, our love would come with, with knowledge and discernment. Uh, when Paul prayed this prayer, it wasn't because he thought the Philippian church was unloving, but I think it's because he saw love on display and he wanted the Lord to do a work that would excel that love and cause it to be overflowing and overwhelming. And so likewise at Faith, I see this love on display in people who come from various backgrounds, who have um, differences and different viewpoints on the world, um, and who apart from Jesus Christ probably wouldn't have any business being together. And, and 
this diverse group of people has been brought together and knit together as a family where we call one another brother and sister. We extend love and provision and friendship, um, people sharing their homes, opening their homes to one another. I see this kind of love on display at Faith, and my prayer is that this love would be partnered with discernment and knowledge and wisdom, and that it would overflow in us, that the Holy Spirit would do a work in us, that that love would, would overflow and would be without limits, so that we really would see this, the fruit of righteousness and justice, not only displayed in our own lives, but that fruit um, of righteousness and justice would transform the world around us. And so let me pray Paul's prayer over us this morning. This is my prayer that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best so that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Amen.